Hello and welcome to 100 episodes of Genreless. Well, 101, technically. Um, our 100th episode is the episode we did last week, which I'm being vague about because we're recording this live. I don't want the people in the audience to know what that episode was. <laughs> so it's. You don't want to let them know that we did Arrow Season 2, Episode 1? Yes, only covering the island flashbacks. That's all we talked about. Um, no, so uh, what we decided to do uh, this time around, uh, well, I say we decided, I decided, uh, was that we're going to do a live episode. Um, so if you're here in the audience, um, welcome to listening to us live. And if you're listening to this uh, audio-wise, we recorded this about a month and a half ago. <laughs> it's way past time. Um, but uh, what we, something that actually Chris mentioned doing a while ago and it's been bouncing around in my head is that uh, we've done this for almost two years now, um, and honestly, uh, a good chunk of our friendship came up during the course of recording the show. So we thought it might be cool to actually ask each other some questions to kind of get to know each other. Kind of. You know how weird that sounds now, right? I know, I know. I made it as creepy as possible. It's like speed dating, only for an hour and for everyone to hear. <laughs> Remember the days when the podcast was only an hour? Like that, that includes us like chatting beforehand. Recording, no, no, remember the days when the podcast, the podcast was like, can we fill an hour? <laughs> <laughs> and now it's like, can we keep it to an hour? <sighs> right. uh, so, so how this is going to work is twofold. Um, the first part is Chris and I have 10 questions in mind. Some of us have written them down, namely me. Some of them are making up as they go along, namely Chris. Uh, and so. Magic. <laughs> One person will ask a question and the person will answer, then they'll ask the next question. So we'll go back and forth that way. Uh, but because we do have three people uh, at this point in the audience, um, any of you all are, are definitely um, willing to also ask questions. You can either uh, put it into the chat we have um, for the live show, uh, and we will try to get to it when we can. Or if you want to, if you have a decent recording set up, uh, we can pull you on stage. You can ask us directly. Uh, and we can answer your question, and you can banter with us until I inevitably kick you back off the stage, because I have that power. Eddie has never pulled anyone else onto stage before during this middle of these. During the this is the second time we've done it. I would like for someone to want to come on stage so I can yeah, see absolutely. that experience the weirdness of Eddie trying to figure out how it works and then apologizing. For I know it. how it works. I have to pull you on stage each time, so I know how that part works. <laughs> that part's not complicated. Maybe. Anyhow, do you want to start with the first question? Would you like me to start with the first question? How would you? No, you are the professional. I would like to see the depth in which you thought about these questions, antagonized over them to come up with your, your Sterling 10 for people experience the magic that is improv. So you joke about that, but I did have to cut this down from 25 questions initially. So. <laughs> Uh, okay, then, first question, um, and kind of a softball question for us, but I think it's good because we mostly talk about movies and TV shows. Obviously, it's the point of this podcast, um, but we both are tabletop RPG designers by, by trade. Uh, so my question to you is, what encouraged you from moving to just playing and loving tabletop RPGs to going, you know what, I could probably make one? Do you want my, my stock answer that I give, or would you like a 
Different answer. <laughs> like, different answer isn't like Beetlejuice banana fish. I mean, what do you mean by different? <laughs> 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 it's just you you screaming for five minutes, or is it? <laughs> it could have been, but as as people, I don't want to you know hurt people's ears by me just shouting randomly into the mic, singing Queen songs. <laughs> A pre-recording joke. If I say that joke one more time, it's funny again. Um, <laughs> real reason that I, I thought that I could make a game is simply because I am someone that believes you can do anything that you put your mind to. You may not do mm -hmm. it well, but you, you can do it. It's a more of a matter of effort and constant perseverance. Very mm -hmm. much which I'll even make it back to superhero shows. If I had to become a superhero, I think the best superhero I would probably be would be a Green Lantern because I have the sheer amount of willpower and stupidity not stop until something gets done. I believed I could make a game to cover and engage with topics that I wanted to see exist in the gaming world, have people engage with that other people were not doing. And so I just did it. I, I have often said that making your way as a professional artist is is just as much spite as <laughs> actual talent. Uh, uh, so I now my sub part of that for you: Do I have talent or do I have spite? That is not one of my questions, but I'm curious. Basically, you, you can have both. That's a crazy. You, you you said it was one of your questions. I'm not giving you a full answer. What are you talking about? That's not how this game is played. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. Okay. What's your question? In a similar vein, mm -hmm. as a well-established game designer of some note and repute, what piece or did you create that made you realize that you were a professional game designer? Not someone that says I'm a professional game designer, but an actual professional game designer who gets gigs from other people. They come out asking you and constantly keeping you working and employed. There are two glib answers. Do you want them as well? <laughs> uh, I would like glib first and then real. Okay, so the first glib answer is you assume that's already happened. Um, <laughs> the second glib answer is the first time I got a paycheck, right? Those are the two glib answers. They're out there. We're done with those. Um, but the first time I felt like this was a real thing and not just, you know, uh, something that I could do for fun or whatever uh, was probably honestly Vampire the Masquerade 20th Anniversary Edition uh, because that was a moment where this is a property that I had, had uh, loved for a long time, uh, something that I was very passionate about. And then due to a variety of instances, which I can go into if anybody cares about, uh, I ended up being in charge of. And suddenly it was like, whoa, this is this is on me. I mean, I had people support me and a team and all of that. So I mean, like, it wasn't like I was completely by myself, but I was the person kind of driving the bus, if you will. Uh, so, and that really kind of reinforced to me, okay, this is, this is real, and this is uh, 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 a level uh, – I had reached a certain 
point in my career. Um, looking back, I think there are probably other places I could have drawn that line, I mean, objectively. Uh, but emotionally, that was the one where I was like, okay, I, I won't say I've made it, but it, it felt like it was something tangible, you know? Okay. Uh, I do see a comment in the, the chat that someone's saying they do care about those as a point to your story. Uh, oh, I missed that. Um, oh, you, you said that you care. You know, <laughs> uh, yes, yes, you are technically in the chat, and technically correct is the best kind of correct. I understand. Um, okay, so the, the positive history of Vampire the Masquerade 20th Anniversary Edition. Um, so at the time, I was working at CCP, which had merged with White Wolf. And uh, I was working on the Late Lamented World Darkness MMO. Uh, and I, along with a couple other people, kind of pointed out to the higher-ups, hey, you know, we're getting close to 2011, uh, and it's been 20 years since Vampire the Masquerade was released in 1981. We should do something to celebrate that. And we weren't anywhere near shipping a game. <laughs> Spoiler alert, we never were. And so Justin Akili was like, we should do kind of a re-release of the core book. Do a nice, you know, leather cover, you know, new art, whatever. And then he got to thinking and talking to some other people, and he got that turned into, let's actually do a polished, refined version of it. Like, you know, let's, let's go through, fix all the errata, uh, incorporate some of the stray rules and supplements, put them all into one place, put all the clans in one place, make kind of a nice, big, comprehensive thing specifically for fans. And, uh, he was like, I, and so basically, much like a lot of things, CCP, it's like, cool, it's your idea, so you do it. And Justin was like, I don't have time to do this. Uh, so he asked me if I wanted to help out, and I was like, sure, that's great, Justin. Um, and so it's like, cool, we have six months. Uh, he and I worked on it. We actually had uh, a couple people like Rose Bailey also helping out. Ian Watson was helping out. Uh, but mostly it was Justin and I just kind of writing it. It's cool, we divided the book up. You know, you do this part, do this part. Um, we talked over what we wanted to change. Uh, we did some initial open development where we posted online some of the design things we were talking about and wanting to do. And uh, then Justin got a great new job at another company and said, peace, and left. Uh, and so here it is, five months, four months before the book needs to go to the printer, and I have to write basically 300,000 words in four months. It, nice, was, nice. it was a lot. Um, I did it. I got through it. I will never do that again. <laughs> But it happens, and I'm very proud of that work. Uh, but yes, as, as pointed out in chat, yes, persistence. Sometimes just being stubborn is what you need to get for the day. And I, what it was like, it's like I, I'm making some decisions here. I don't care if it's the best nuanced design decision. I just need to get the book done. So there's certainly <laughs> things that, in looking back, I was like, I would probably do this differently and that differently. And so a lot of things I've learned since then. But at the time, it was just like I didn't have the time to even think about that. It was what's this is going to make this book amazing. It's going to be, let's get this book to a printer because we had a very short window that had no flexibility. We could not miss that date. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was a, a very stressful time. Excellent. Uh, it looks like we have at least one more person in the audience. To the audience Hello. knows, we, we can pull you onto the stage if you'd like to ask a question. You can drop right. us a question in the chat. Right. I believe there's a raise hand icon, or if not, just mention in the chat, hey, I'd like to have a question, pull me on stage, and I'll, I'll make it happen. 
or you can ask questions in chat if you don't want to talk. You can do that too. Uh, okay, my turn. Um, Chris Ivy, is there a particular moment in your life, uh, kind of related to this, some, some idea, um, is there a moment in life where you looked back and you realized you were really in love with, with history? Like, oh, I, I really love reading history, researching it. Honestly, I don't think so. I just sort of stumbled into it. Grew oh, okay. up in Alabama as a only child raised by my grandmother. I spent a lot of time reading and watching TV and being by myself. Mm -hmm. Eventually, reading and engaging in all that media, it does boil back to but I didn't see a lot of people like me at all in those things. And then it slowly transitioned. Mm -hmm. You know what? I'm actually going to say it was my fifth grade history teacher. Um, Button, I think was her name. Mm -hmm. It was probably the, the biggest catalyst for that because she gave us some interesting books to read then. She made history fun in class. And I think cool. after that moment, I started focusing more on reading history and discovering more people myself that were in history and doing amazing things and i think that's around the time i found out more about zorno my cousin zorno hurston and it just kind of exploded out from there and having always been an activist of some sort i want the truth and things to get out and i want people to know all this information that i know mm -hmm. that has been a constant driving force because i believe that with, with knowledge comes power why when people are in power who are tyrannical they try to erase history so you don't know what happened before so it, it, it's make sure i understand this it, it, it's you don't see yourself necessarily as a historian but rather your historical research and the historical bent is a subset of your more activist leanings is that a better way of phrasing it or you could i would almost just say that i'm more of a, a truth teller i like to okay. that works I didn't mean to shut you down. I was just saying <laughs> it helps me to clarify oh, that. No, I, I could have prattled on for like another two or three minutes just about that. So <laughs> it's my question. Yes. I am going to go in a, a different direction because you pointed out that a lot of our friendship came from the podcast and, and that's why we're having part of this is so we get to know, find out more about each other. I want to know, why did you agree to do the podcast? And in reality, how long did you think we would be doing this? <laughs> Um, honestly, I, I, I agreed because, um, I've always had an itch to do something like this. Um, uh, so like, I've always wanted to talk, I want to talk about comic books and TV shows. Uh, but most of the time, the podcasts I had been listening to at the time were focused on a specific thing. Uh, like, so we both talked glowingly about, uh, Jay and Miles explain the X-Men. Um, which is a fantastic podcast, but they're focused on just X-Men comics. They occasionally talk about other X-Men media, but they're primarily talking about the comics. Um, or uh, one of my favorites, um, People vs. Star Trek Voyager, um, which is, again, a great show, but they only talk about Star Trek Voyager. And I was like, I don't know if I can commit to a podcast for years about one thing. Uh, and so you're like, hey, I want to do a podcast kind of just talking about all sorts of different shows. That kind of stuck in the back of my head, but I didn't initially – He's like, yeah, we'll talk about it. And I kind of – I didn't push it off so much as I didn't really commit to it right away because I wanted to see, A, if you were still – like, if you're serious about that, um, but B, how I felt after thinking about it for a while. And every time you brought it up, I got more and more excited about it. 
uh, I was like, yeah, this is cool. I mean, and I know that from chatting with you on projects we worked together on, like uh, Chicago by Night and um, uh, Psyon Masters of Mythos, that we were kind of in alignment on some pretty core things. Uh, but we had some different lived experiences, which I think makes for good discussions, frankly. Uh, because if you agree on everything or disagree on everything, there's no conversation or no interesting conversation. Um, but if there's a good percentage of each, um, I think that leads to actually interesting conversations. Uh, and then, what? I was just going to agree. It, it's it's hard uh, not to talk over you how we do on our normal podcast sometimes. So it's no, I know. Uh, and the other part of your question, which I sneakily will note, is actually two questions and not one question, but whatever. We'll let it slide. Only one of us is uh, a professional here, and it is not this guy. <laughs> um, uh, is uh, I, Honestly, I figured about a year. Uh, and it's not a slight against you or even me. It's just that's the average life of a podcast is generally about a year. Um, if it goes beyond that, uh, there's a certain level of, of – of quality or uh, marketing or something that goes into it that I just knew neither of us were interested in doing um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, so the fact that we're doing it now two years later, I think really comes down to the fact is that we both just really enjoy doing this. Um, I, I, I know at least for me, I've never felt like, well, I won't say it's never felt like a chore. Late in the superhero <laughs> run, it got to be a chore. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but we're open about that. We, you know, we, that's what I like about doing this with you is that you are completely fine with the let's just put it all on air, right? Let's just be honest with ourselves because for me, that comes from my kind of punk rock ethos of like, let's just raw DIY, let's just be honest, let's just be truthful. Um, the only time we've ever cut anything out is when we pivoted, we, we're going to do a show, we decided to do a show, it's the only time we've ever cut anything out. Um, and so that was another reason why I like, I keep doing this is because you and I can have a awkward conversation or whatever. And it's just, it's just fine. Admittedly, the one time we did cut something we did then at the start of the next episode, literally acknowledge and explain why we decided not to do it. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's like, even that it's like, there's no quote unquote missing content. It's just, yeah, we're going to do In fact, I remember it was, uh, uh, Pat Labor. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, this is propaganda. No, we're not doing that. So. <laughs> People in our audience do not know. Thank you, by the way, audience members, because now I get to ask another question that doesn't count as a question. People in our audience that may not know anime, what is Pat Labor? Thirty second it, version of that story. Uh, it's a sh it's a show about cops, but except for cars, they use giant mecha suits. Right, you gave that, me back twenty three seconds. I wasn't expecting. <laughs> I mean, it's basically it. Um, I mean, a little bit of Police Academy in there, but even then, Police Academy's. It, it, when I watched a couple episodes of it, it was lots of the police are ultimately right, and they're saving us from civilization sliding into chaos and disorder. And I was just like, yeah. And this was like 2021. We were, talking, we were debating it. It's like, no, 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 we're not doing that. Uh, thank you for that answer. It is your question, my friend. Okay. Uh, what's, uh, since, since we talk about TV shows and comic books and whatnot, movies and whatnot, um, what is a TV show, comic book, movie, or whatever that you always go back to? Your kind of comfort food. The TV show or comic book? TV show, comic book, movie, whatever. So it would be a movie, actually, because I, I enjoy comics, but I've 
I can say I moved out of my comic phase, but I, I take it in waves now. And most of my joy from comics comes right now actually trying to have my daughter, Zora, read different comics and trying to figure out what she likes so I can get her stuff she likes that she doesn't know about so I can surprise her with it. The look mm -hmm. on her face is pure joy. Um, but your real question goes back to either uh, Thin Man, like the, the premiere movie that I'll always go back and watch and it always gives me like comforting feeling or mm -hmm. the TV show Psych is just like a warm blanket. It, it, I have to confess, and you're going to be very probably angry at me. I've actually never watched the movie The Thin Man. I know I should have. Well, it's I, I'm not going to try to push it or sell it to you. I enjoy it, but it's a movie made in like 1934, 35. So the banter between uh, Nick and Nora is priceless. And even at the time in the 30s when they would have made that movie, it would have been ahead of the time of Nora keeping up with Nick. She she never successfully does it because it's made in the 30s, but is that constant attempt, their power dynamics and the chemistry between uh, Mira Lloyd and William Powell and honestly, I mean, I've, I've heard some episodes of the Nick and Nora radio show, so I'm familiar with the dynamic at least. Um, and I completely agree with you on that. But even then, I understand the radio show is watered down from the movie. So one of the things I've just never kind of gotten around. As you, uh, you are the, the actual lead on this episode, there's a question in the chat. There is. Um, I will go ahead and ask it, and then I will answer it, and then you can answer it. Sound good? good, buddy. Okay. Uh, so the question is, uh, your most memorable tabletop role-playing game moment as a player and as a GM, two stories each of a game session, an event that never fails to bring a smile to your face when you remember them. Uh, and uh, as a player, um, uh, one of my kind of favorite moments was uh, uh, a live-action role-playing game moment, actually. Um, where uh, I had been, uh, I, for reasons that are too boring to get into, uh, the the live action troupe I was a part of allowed me to play an elder vampire, which was I, I didn't really want to do, but that was my option available to me. Um, and so the premise I made was an elder vampire who outwardly was kind of a, a playboy. He had lots of beautiful women in his arm, um, but I went to all of the uh, well, presenting. Uh, players playing women at the game and i was like i want to characterize with you my character is an idiot uh so i want you to completely manipulate and use me but outwardly everyone thinks i'm the one the big mastermind and <laughs> they're all, and they're all like oh my god that, that's amazing um and so one of my uh, favorite moments is uh, uh, I'm at the head of a table. I, I'm, I'm banging and yelling and screaming and just chewing somebody out. Uh, they're trying to make a play for me and watching eight women stand up and point guns at somebody. <laughs> it's just like, oh, my God, that is amazing. Um, and then uh, as a game master um, – Actually, fairly recently, um, and if people want to, actually, it was uh, for a podcast. So if people want to go listen to it, they can. It's uh, part of Red Moon role playing. Um, but uh, one of my kind of white whales as a GM has always been to do a time travel, timey wimey style episode that works. It's <laughs> really, really hard to do if you've ever tried to do it. 
because it either requires the players to be completely on board and to railroad themselves, which is not fun for certain kinds of players, or you have to basically pretend like the players have agency, but they secretly don't. And that's not fun either. Um, but I ran a Pugmire uh, game, uh, and basically um, it started off, uh, it was raining at a funeral, um, and they got the mission to go to this weird place, lots of strange kind of uh, 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 dimensional stuff happening in the course of that. Uh, and then they attack the creature in the middle of it who was manipulating time, and they finally, they're about to die, and then they wake up at a funeral when it's raining. Um, and they realize that the mission that they were sent on is the mission. Basically, the, the person in the hood that sent them on the mission was them. Uh, and I just ended the game there. But the players were like, no, absolutely. If we kept playing, I would have absolutely been that person in the hood and, and, and sent them on the mission because now I know what happened and why we have to do that. Um, and I have, I'm never trying it again because I find it's like, I did it. I pulled it off. Never doing it again. <laughs> I got my one moment. Uh, so, Chris, player and Game Master, one story each. The player, it's going to be the old face rip Marvel superheroes game. And, uh, uh, a friend of mine who was, who was running me in a, basically ended up being like a three or four year campaign. And throughout mm -hmm. the camp, entire campaign, I was, a, a, I was basically a mutant Tony Stark. So I kind of had Storm's powers, but I had Tony Stark's tech side. Okay. And was solving a lot of crimes and investigations, and it started small. And he built it like a real story, like small little things. And you find out more and more. And there was this big master plot that was slowly unraveling. I was piecing everything together, and I was shortcutting some of the ideas that he had. Mm. And around the two-year mark, I think I did something so unexpected for him that he changed the entire plot at the last moment and changed the primary antagonist. <laughs> It was like an X, almost like an X-Men run, how Jay and Miles talked about, instead of it being the owl that uh, X-Factor fought, it became... Oh, the changed apocalypse. apocalypse, and yeah. yeah. Instead, he changed it from some low-rung villain to the adversary, then teleported <laughs> me to the Old West. And that's like where latter, the latter half of the game picked up. Nice. Nice. As a player, it's a joy of so much disrupting a GM's well-thought-out plot through playing it and figuring out stuff. Mm -hmm. They change the entire thing, and it becomes even more fun. Yeah. As a game master, I, people may, may be vaguely familiar, but I've run a lot of Cthulhu. It's, it's a passing thing I may have run occasionally. And mm -hmm. one of the main goals that I've always tried to do is run Master Nolithotep numerous times. It always kind of ends in the same spot. A lot of the group I play with is my my group. So we've been together now, playing together for over geez, 12, 15 years. Mm -hmm. And one of the players, his favorite thing is I will never TPK a party. I am a mm -hmm. strong believer that you can do whatever you want, but there will be consequences for those actions. And this player is frequently blowing up their party in grudge matches with villains he can't beat. Dynamite, mm -hmm. his own bad skills and mishaps. <laughs> got to the end of Mask of Nolothotep and I had wow. um, a new player who joined our group for this who was incredible at the end of the game like when I was saying thank you to everybody thanks for coming thanks for playing 
Simon told me that is the best game they have ever played, best campaign they've ever played from start to finish. Oh, cool. I still occasionally get emails from this person saying that is still the best experience they've had. Awesome. It's like uh, we've we got a... Do you want to take this one? Because it's a question from someone you know. But you were the lead on the show, and I would oh, feel... Oh, I see how it is. See, see this is how it how happens, about... folks, is that... As Chris goes, oh, you're the professional, so you should get things organized, and then I end up doing all the work. This is how it all works. <laughs> if you're going to spoil the magic. You know what? <laughs> I, I will take this one as I, as I do know the person that asked the question. I will ask, you answer, then I answer. How's that sound? Yep. Um, our listener, uh, someone named Zora, Zora Spivey, I believe. Uh, what's your favorite genre of gaming? Yeah, and I looked at that question for like five minutes now, and I still don't really have an answer. Um, uh, because it's it's changed. Well, it's changed over my life. Uh, and it's got to the point where it's like, I think the, the group matters more than the genre. Um, but that being said, if someone runs a cyberpunk game, I'm probably going to be more inclined to give it a shot than I would otherwise. <laughs> I mean, Cyberpunk, either capital C Cyberpunk or lower C Cyberpunk, right? Um, like, I am also the kind of person that keeps going every five years. Maybe Shadowrun's fun, and I remember it's not, you know? So it, it's... <laughs> Cyberpunk as a genre is something I've always kind of been under my skin. We can safely say, if you don't mind me interrupting, that your favorite genre of gaming is Cyberpunk slash low-rent sci-fi. Yeah, yeah, I mean, because Cyberpunk is lower in top five, but yeah, yeah. Because like, when you ran Traveler, I was like, ooh, a Traveler, that sounds good, too. <sighs> I know you. Um, so, how about you? Me, my favorite genre of gaming, not changed, although it's a genre that I actually do not get to run or play in that much, is the superhero genre is my favorite, hands down. I, mm -hmm. I find myself running a lot of Star Wars or horror stuff more than anything else, because that's what people like to play, and as I'm usually the forever GM, so I'm running. Yeah, it's funny because like I, 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 I'm, I'm with you in the sense like I have the game I've run the most is still Marvel Superheroes, the original TSR version. Um, but also I did at one point try to run a Marvel 2099 game, so kind of have my cake and eat it too. I may have actually had taken the opportunity to run a one-shot of Face Rip two weeks ago for my group when our Fallout uh, game got canceled because I didn't have enough of the players. Ha. Ha. And See, they it's... loved it. Yeah, no, it's great. And also because, I, mean, I don't know about you, but me, it's like I'm at the point where it's like I could probably run it in like an hour's notice. <laughs> well, I, now that, now that I've reread it, I could run it in two, two seconds notice because I just reread it. Yeah, I mean, I'll have to reread some rules is basically it. Um, and then, but basically, yeah, it's like if I have the chart and I can quickly Google character stats online or, or if I have access to the appropriate books, yeah, just run it. Uh, anyway, but, uh, it is now your turn. Uh, we'll get we some user questions, but it's now your turn of the actual questions we're going through. Thank you for your question, Zora. It is very much appreciated. Good question. Yes, thank you, Zora, who don't know who that is at all. Mm, my question. One is literally adding you in the thing now. Um, all right. I will not link in the chat. I'll ask you my question. I'm not at all vamping for time because I did not prepare <laughs> come up with questions for any of that nonsense. I 
I want to focus actually on multiple times that you've moved. So mm-hmm. how many different countries have you lived in which one is your best experience there? Uh, so um, I've actually lived in three countries. Um, uh, and two of those over in the past six years. Uh, so lived in the U.S. most part, although I didn't move around the U.S. several times. Uh, then we moved to Ireland in 2017, uh, lived there for about six months, had to move back for a variety of reasons, but all two boils down to we had not prepared enough for the international move, um, and so we couldn't make it work. Uh, so we moved back to Atlanta. Um, we've now moved to the U.K., uh, and like the fact that we've been here longer than six months shows obviously we're doing better in the UK and we're also nowhere near the same problems we had before. So we made the, we, we were better prepared for this move this time. Um, but in terms of which one I like better, it, it's hard. Like on the one hand, my mom was born here. Uh, I've always been a bit of an Anglophile. Um, so like there, there's a part of me that, that, Personality-wise, it's always kind of been tied to England. Uh, but Ireland's really kind of stuck with me in a way that I, I still use occasional slang from Ireland, even though I haven't lived there for six years. Um, so there's something yeah. about that really stuck with me. Um, I wish we could have made it work on some level, but it, it just didn't. Um, uh, and just some of the ways they do things and some of the decisions they make. Like in their constitution – uh, they have a law saying that artists get taxed differently. That's how much Ireland values art. Uh, there's a whole bureaucratic process you have to go through to do it. Um, but that a country that goes, yeah, no, we care about art so much, we're going to put it in our, in our constitution. It's like, whoa, that's huge. you know. So, so stuff like that really sticks to me. So it's hard to say. If I if you, you know, absolutely had to pick one, probably be England. Okay, very cool. I I still fully intend to get the family to take a trip over. So just be prepared one day if we show up outside your place knocking on the door. I will not accept <laughs> decaffeinated. I will not accept decaf tea as my drink. To let you know, got to be prepared. When I oh, show no, up, uh, don't know when it'll be. My 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 wife definitely uh, always makes sure there's beer in the house. So the, that will definitely you know you'll have something. Don't get me wrong. And also we can always <laughs> walk to one of the many pubs here if you're willing to pen ten pounds for a pint. Because it's London and prices are ridiculous. Be the first time I bought like uh, booze in a hotel before. Oh, uh, before we lose the question, though, I'm going to ask this uh, from Prince of Apathy. Question for Chris: in The games for Zora and her friends, a total party kill off the table. No, never. But I may have rigged it so that they have maximum hit because I'm going to run a D and D game actually this upcoming Friday for her and her friends. I've rigged it so that all the characters have maximum hit points. And a couple of them can heal, and one of the players is actually going to be a parent who is a cleric. Lots of healing stuff. Okay, not off the mm-hmm. table, but it may have rigged the game there in their favor. Question for Eddie from Prince of Apathy. For Eddie, how much gaming are you doing in the UK? A fair bit, actually. Um, uh, so the group that I was gaming with in Atlanta, we have now moved online. Um, so uh, that's a... a D&D 5e game we're playing, and that's been going on for three years now. We started during the pandemic. No, no, longer than that. We started before the pandemic, actually. 
is that we went online briefly during a pandemic, then we got back offline, and then we're back online again. Um, and my uh, roommate Dave has been running that. Um, we have another 5e game with my friends in the UK that we did start during the pandemic online, and now that we're all in the same time zone, we just continue on playing that. Uh, I'm playing Gloomhaven online with my friend Matthew Dawkins uh, about once a week, um, and we are about 40-ish hours into that. Uh, and I just played a short game of Die the RPG with some friends of mine in Germany. Um, that was really fun, actually. Uh, and I'm going to Dragon Meat uh, in December to play his games, too. So, I mean, yeah, I've actually been doing a fair amount of gaming. And that's outside of my, my quote-unquote work-related game. If I run, like, actual plays or play <laughs> or whatever for, for games that I've worked on or to promote. So, I mean, I, that's, that's just the stuff I do for fun. Awesome. Uh, let's. I think we should go ahead and we'll take the other question in the chat. Then you can. Then it'll be your turn to ask me a question. We're, we're never going to get out to our questions. This is great, though. Um, uh, have you ever tried Heroes Unlimited? Because um, uh, uh, the, the person asking us is that their, their cousin's into it, haven't tried it. Uh, I think that's a question for me. I have yeah. played Heroes Unlimited. I own uh, a couple editions on the shelf. On the whole, it is not a game for me. I enjoy crunch. I don't enjoy fractions of points for crunch. I think the Heroes Unlimited 6 edition uses. It's also a game I want to say from, was it 90 or 1990 or 2000? So some of yeah, the mechanics a, and things are very much in that vibe and feel still. That, that's a Palladium game, right? I don't think so. Here's I would get up off my, my cat, look, but I'm on a, a live show. <laughs> Fair enough. Because um, uh, I know like Champions later editions got really bad about that. Yeah, Heroes Limited played him. Yeah, it's played him game. So uh, I've played it. I own it. I've read it. It's not so much for me. Fair enough. Uh, a ah, uh, a question for both of us: uh, ethical thoughts on AI assistance for creators in and in society on the whole, Eddie. Uh. So this is when the podcast becomes three hours long. Um, so uh, I'm going to take a slightly controversial stance on this. Uh, and for full context, um, uh, my roommate actually does work uh, in this field. Uh, so I, I, I have a slightly different perspective on this than most. Um, I think the current way the AI is being used is, is highly unethical. Um, I think the way that large companies like video game and movie studios are using AI is deeply unethical. I do not think the tools themselves are unethical because I do not think tools have an ethical bias. Uh, I think AI, if it is properly uh, reworked and trained correctly and uh, the, the, the source it's working from is, is all correctly sourced, uh, can be a, a viable tool to help out with certain things like uh, uh, minor annoying research um stuff like that or, or like give me a list of 10 character names uh things that um writers already kind of use different tools for i think ai could could be a, a all-in-one solution for that um but it, it's definitely not there now um and uh outside of creators um it gets in kind of two rough trunks on the the engineering sides um ai is pretty good for things like programming like hey tell the ai to write up a source code for this thing that I'll then modify to fit my actual programming needs. Um, that's pretty common, actually, use of AI even before it became popular. Uh, but things like art, 
Um, it is deeply, 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 deeply unfortunate. Um, and I think it's going to be very hard for uh, a visual art to get out of the quagmire. Um, but to be honest, again, the controversial part of it, AI sucks for writing, right? Like, it's not good. Uh, everyone's, like, so worried about AI to take our jobs. Like, unless the person reading it has no knowledge of how language works, then maybe. Uh, but it's just it's just terrible. Like, I asked it to make uh, a Marvel tabletop role-playing game character for me once. And it got, like, half the stats wrong. Um, I'm not even talking, like, like build errors. I'm talking, like, you know, fundamental stuff on the sheet is just incorrect. It doesn't exist. Like, it had armor class on it. I mean, it, it's, it's just not good. Uh, and the stuff that it creates, the way it's designed, it's not going to do anything creative because that's literally not what it's designed to do. It's designed to make the most average, boring thing possible. That's what it's supposed to do. Um, so I'm not super worried about the tool. I'm worried about people in power seeing this as a way to continue to shaft creative professionals. I, my answer will not be as in-depth as Eddie's. I don't have a roommate that, that works on it. But <laughs> it's, I don't think the tool itself is unethical, but I think the way that they're training the tool is unethical and the usage of it is unethical. I am wholly against it because there's going to be no way properly pay the people whose work has been taken to have the AI become as smart as it is and properly credit them or give them what they need. That is only going to continue to expand out the more it's used and the longer it's used. And eventually, I will, I will, regardless, will. regardless of quality, it will replace all other creatives until there's nothing there and people will go, oh, it's what we got. We'll figure out how to enjoy it. Right. I mean, I will say intellectually, I think it is possible to do that, but also Disney can't pay its creators now even before AI. So I'm no belief that they'll do not only that, but then go above and beyond to be able to pay the people that would necessarily be part of their source code for the AI. So in my opinion is wholly unethical and should not be used. There's no way to properly regulate it or contain it, especially not now. It, it's a box. Yeah. It's Pandora, All right, my question. Um, back to me. Uh, <laughs> super no, the, I know that you came up with 25 questions. You want to try to get some of them in there before we, before we stop this, this show. Yeah, I know. It's like we're almost an hour, and I've gotten like through three questions. <laughs> um. Actually, that's a good point. Do we want to stick to 10 questions or just keep talking to it right on time? I mean, because if so, I can change the order of some of these questions to get to the ones I actually want to ask. I'm not confined by time. Our podcast is really confined by time. I think it's when we decide we're bored is when we stop. Fair enough. Okay, then I'll ask, I will ask interesting, not boring questions. Um, so, because this is awkward after the AI questions, even better ask question. What's your writing process? Is there one? I mean, I assume because writing happens. <laughs> so I kind of just sit there and I think for a long time and eventually something populates onto the screen. I'm not sure how it happens. It's um, So really, my writing process is probably, I think, a little different from other people. I spend more time thinking about what I want to write than I actually do writing because I have a full-time day job that's incredibly demanding. I have mm -hmm. an amazing family also really demanding and time consuming and we've got a great dog now who is amazing dog but also time consuming 
mm-hmm. very small pockets and windows of time to actually sit down and write. Spend more of my time thinking about what I want to write and how things may play out. If I get a project, we'll say, for instance, I get a, a project from Talisorian Games to write them a scenario for Forlorn Hope. I go, sure, I'll, I'll do that for you. How long do I have to do it? And they say, we'll get, if they don't give me enough time to actually be able to write it, I usually turn down a lot of freelance jobs. I don't take nearly as many jobs as I get offers for because people will say, give you a bunch of time. I want 10,000 words next month. I'm going to say no, because I have a job where I work 50 hours a week, plus my family and everything else. So I'm going to say, I can't help you. But right. if I accept the job and there's time to do it, I will probably spend about 75% or 80% of my time thinking through how the thing should work. And I'll sit down and in one day after all that, I could write anywhere from seven to 15,000 words in one day. I just need the chunk of time to sit down and do it. Jeez. And out of that, we'll say 10,000 words, about 8,500 8, of them are good words. So those are usable words. Mm-hmm. So writing in usable words means there's, there's fluff, and then there's actually pertinent stuff that you would want people to read. Right. You need the fluff right. to get into the zone to make the pertinent stuff. Because writing is editing, absolutely. I don't think other people's process is quite like mine. I don't think anyone's process is quite like anyone else's process. People like to think there's a standardized way of writing, and it's just I just think that's wrong. But that's why I'm always, that's why I like to ask the question because I'm always curious other writers' process. Uh, anyway, it is your turn. My question, because I love that question, is going to be, "What is your writing process?" Damn it! I knew this was going to happen. I knew you were going to start just parroting my questions back to me. Um, uh, mine's uh, pretty different, uh, but. I'm in a different place than you, obviously. Like, like this is my full-time job. Uh, I'm a self-employed freelancer, so um, I do structure it like a job. Uh, I, I have work hours. I um, try to keep them. Uh, that's gotten less uh, just because that, that I moved overseas. Most of my clients are still American because of time zones. I've had to kind of fudge that a bit. Um, but, like, I, I have an office space in our flat. Uh, I have a, a, set, a workspace I go to when everyone else is at the flat, and it's, all three of us can't work at the same time in the same space. Um, and I plan my day. It's like, I'm going to work on these things today. Um, I, I have hours allocated to them, and I try to shoot for five hours of work a day um, because I have learned from hard experience that uh, I can get five hours of useful work a day that means the rest of the time is going to be stuff like walking the dog eating taking meetings doing email whatever um yeah right like like recording this damn podcast you know that's that's easily like you know a quarter of my day um uh but i mean i i i have a very flexible system uh to kind of organize all that um and uh, unlike you uh i I, i'm lucky if i can get two thousand words written a day uh, but the difference is, is just about every day I can do probably 2,000 words. Um, so at the end of the week, I have maybe 10,000 good, useful words. Uh, where it sounds like you do more bursts, where it's like there's, you know, not for several days, then just dump. Uh, so I think in the end, we're probably roughly the same amount of momentum. Uh, it's just mine's a little more slow and steady, and yours is more just blah. Platinum term, blah. 
before Eddie gets to ask another question, does the chat have any questions? Because it's not at all like I'm trying to slow him down with his long, long list of questions. Uh, well, this next question will be short answer, I promise you. It'll probably only take you about three minutes to answer. Do you believe me? I believe you, but you also know me well enough that I'll either answer it in 30 seconds or I can make it a 10-minute answer. Believe me. I'll be curious if you can make this one a 10-minute answer. Ooh, ooh, let's do it. Okay. Oh. Aside from Sylvester McCoy, who is your favorite doctor? Lieutenant. Okay, three seconds. See, you can do it 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that was really your whole question? There's... Yeah, that was a question. Right. That was a question. Why don't you promote the fact that you are one of the writers on the Red Dwarf role-playing game more than you do? <sighs> For two reasons. Um, the first is the game's out of print. And uh, you can't get it anymore. Um, and so promoting things that people can get access to it comes off, in my experience, as, oh, you haven't done anything new. Because the only thing you could point to is something that people can no longer play. Um, so that, from a purely professional standpoint, it is difficult. Uh, the other is that, I don't know, um, I'm, I'm, I, I guess I'm happy with my work on it. Uh, but I didn't work on the core role-playing game. I worked on supplement. Uh, and basically it was the series source book. And so each of us got one series and we had to watch the six episodes of that series and then write the, summarize the plot for each episode and then take all the bits that were in the episode and, and turn it into stat blocks or plot hooks or whatever. Um, so I had nothing to contribute to in terms of like actually creating the game. It was all just, okay, now apply the game to the show. Um, so, uh, I don't, I honestly, I just, I feel like there's other stuff that I've done that I think is, is quality wise better. Um, although that said, I did have an interesting experience a few years ago where someone contacted me out of the blue about working on the Red Dwarf role playing game. And so they had some questions for me and I was like, oh yeah, okay. But I didn't, I work on the core rule book. You should talk to these other people, blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah, I've tried to contact literally everybody else and I can't no one's responding to me i'm like really wow okay you're down to me uh, all right let's, let's let's talk then <laughs> um and uh i think ultimately like i i, I don't have the books actually no, I, my mom has books now um so the copies i have uh but yeah i mean it's, it's a fine game i mean i'm glad that it existed but it's been 20 years now um uh, I got name-checked in this fan book. The reason I got contacted is because they made a fan book of all of the... It was, it was an encyclopedia of all the Red Dwarf spin-off merchandise, which is an extremely specific book, and I wish I still had it, but I don't anymore. I got a copy of that. Very cool. Uh, yeah. So. In the chat. Um, yes, chat. Uh, do you think D&D can be or has been dethroned as the world's most popular role-playing game? Do you want to answer that? I, can, I guess I can answer first. Uh, I do not think it has been dethroned, and I do not think it will ever be dethroned, simply because it has the name brand associated with it. Whenever you mention gaming to anyone, their first response is, do you mean D&D? &D? I've tried to explain gaming to other people. 
and they look at me very strangely. And then my wife comes in and says, he means D&D. And they go, oh. And I think one person's even said, why don't you say D&D? And I went, and yep. I went into a big thing about how D&D is not the only role-playing game. So in short, no. But it's part of the cultural's general database of knowledge now. So it will never be dethroned. It's not yep. the best game, but it is the most well-known and established game. Yep. Uh, the only amendment to that, because otherwise I completely agree, uh, is that some people point to, well, yeah, well, Pathfinder outsold D&D for several years during 4th edition. That is absolutely true. That is objectively correct. Um, but the second that D&D course corrected, that ended. Um, so there was not D&D got dethroned. That was D&D made a mistake, even though I've argued, and we'll continue to argue that 4th edition is not as bad as people say it is. Um, but from a, a purchase, from, from a financial standpoint, it was a failure. Another company took advantage of that, but the second they changed it, as soon as they changed course, they lost that momentum, um, which just reinforces that, no, D&D is, it's the Xerox of the other role-playing games, right? It's, it's the, it, the, the, the word you use to, to define the genre, and that's just so, not going to go away. It's the Walmart of gaming. Yeah, 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 it is, in every and sense. We, we would have to totally fight on this one at some other point in time, but... Three was horrible. Say it hands down. I'm not a big D&D player. I've played every edition, but 4E is horrible. I'll throw in for later conversation. Yeah, yeah, we should talk about it at some point in time. Um, uh, uh, 13th Age, better or, or just different than D&D? Just better or just different? It's just different. It's just D&D with different moving parts. I like 13th Age, don't get me wrong. I played a long-running game of 13th Age. It's just different. It's different. I've read it, but I haven't had a chance to play it, so I can't speak from experience yet. Uh, okay, back to me, right? Yes, yes, because you asked me the Red Dwarf question. Um, People are going to start to think that you're a little egotistical if every time you come back and say, back to me, back to me, it's all about me. me. No, it's not egotistical. It's because otherwise there will be no structure to this damn thing. So someone's got to drive the bus. Are you inferring I am opposed to structure? Okay, all right. So so since, you, since we're doing this this behind the scenes look <laughs> at things. I'm gonna tell a little story to our audience. When I did my international move, uh, some of you may recall that we uh, did Armor Wars uh, for about five weeks. Um, the main reason for that is because Chris told me to my face, i.e. through online, that you're not gonna be able to run the show while you're in the middle of the move. So let's do this for five weeks so you can come back and then settle in before you try to take control of the show again. <laughs> so <laughs> you have, openly acknowledge that the only reason why this show goes anywhere is through both of us primarily, but uh, I, I do like to kind of keep some kind of structure. Oh, I, I can't give you any shtick if you're going to like tell people the whole thing about all that. Is that, yes, no, I, I like structure. I believe in it. And one of us has to do the structure piece. And it is the least fun part of our, of doing the podcast together. Oh yeah, absolutely. That. Um, and, and, and so to summarize, Chris likes to tell the truth, except for it involves this podcast. My question. <laughs> uh, um, so you are genuinely, sincerely, rightfully proud of the work you've done on both Harlem Unbound and Haunted West. What's one thing from either of those books that you're proud of, but no one talks about? To say my work in general? Well, um, I was specifically Harlem Unbound or Haunted West. And I, I, I saw what you did there, and I'm ignoring that. I'm going back to the actual question because I'm not going to let you get away with that one. <laughs> We've already known each other too long. 
Um, <laughs> honestly, the for Harlem Bound, it's the fact that people don't talk about people from the book. This is one of the things mm-hmm. I pointed out early on. The reason I love history is I love sharing with other people. And there's a sheer amount of history that we poured into both of them. And some of it's a city, some of it's a people, but these are these people are legends. They were changing like the game at their time where them doing anything would get them killed. They still did it. Mm-hmm. People don't talk about them or highlight them. They will talk about the racial tension modifier that I made. Hey, mm-hmm. I, I like people giving me kudos. They'll talk about how that uh, section that addresses racism in gaming should be standard reading for every person gaming. I, I love hearing that. Yeah. But I want them to talk about like all the people in the book because we gave you bios. We gave you stuff that you could go and read and research yourself and learn more about them. Like they are the heart of that book and they don't get spoken about enough. Perfect. Or on it West. Mm-hmm. People primarily talk about the life path creation system for Haunted West and we interweaved history in it, which I love hearing about. I would love for people to talk more about the actual game system itself that we built to power the entire thing on. You mean your Origin Awards winning game system? (laughs) Yes, but no one talks about it. I I like an award, but an award means nothing in the end of the day. It does. It it doesn't get you money. It doesn't get you more sales. It doesn't get people playing the game more. There's very little. Yep. I would love for people to talk about that system that took D100 and I think, I'm not going to say revolutionized it, but moved it to like the next step for what D100 games can be. Because no one company owns D100. Regardless mm-hmm. of what they say and they come at you, it is an take it and you use it and you change it and you improve it. Eventually someone else is going to come and make another D100 game. They're going to improve on it then. And the fact that people aren't talking about that right now, I'm disappointed. I agree. It's a good game. So that's my my little that's bit of a long way to answer. No, that's that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Fantastic. Who is your favorite Star Trek captain slash commander and why? My favorite Star Trek commander? I said captain slash commander because sometimes oh. they may not be a captain. They may become a captain. Let's so, 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 so to reframe your question, who's the best Star Trek captain and why is it Ben Sisko? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what you want to ask. And the answer is, of course, it's Ben Sisko. Why would it be anyone but Benjamin Sisko? Why um, do you think it's Ben Sisko? Uh, so I've actually, uh, I mentioned this, I think, I think I actually mentioned it on the podcast, but I, I've just finished a, a, a front to back rewatch of Deep Space Nine. I started it. Um, Actually, when we first moved here, because uh, it was comfort food, it's like, oh, I, I love Deep Space Nine. I want to watch this again. And it happens to be on Netflix here for some reason. And it's like, oh, cool, great. I have Netflix already. Boom, let's start watching it. Um, and I had not actually, outside of our individual episodes when we talked about it, I had not actually watched the full show front to back in several years. Uh, and it just reminded me why I love him so much, because... Both Janeway and Picard, and to a degree even Kirk, are all idealists, right? Um, and they try to 
keep their standards even in the worst of times. And I get why people find that inspiring. Uh, what I like about Ben Francisco is that he's also an idealist, but he lives in a world of realism. And he is willing to make the hard choices, but that doesn't diminish who he is as a person. He is someone who can make really hard decisions like, I'm going to trick the Romulans into joining the war, and then also express his love for his son, and they don't feel jarring. They don't feel <laughs> dissonant. This is all Ben Frisco. This is the man who is simultaneously um, the war hero of uh, the Federation against the Dominion and also Space Jesus to the Bajorans. And <laughs> it's all one package. Uh, he's a complex, nuanced character uh, who has, frankly, dealt probably the worst hand in Star Trek history uh, and just does it. But also, like, uh, I was watching an episode recently, a small thing. Um, uh, uh, it's, um, I don't remember the exact scenario, but it was basically um, uh, Julian Bashir does Julian Bashir things um, and goes to Cisco's office and is like, hey, I'm sorry, I, I did the Julian Bashir thing. Um, you know, I, I, I've, I've accidentally violated all of his ethical laws. Whoops, sorry, whatever. Um, and it's like in Star Trek, you get the kind of, oh, I'm disappointed in you. You're going to get a promotion. No, Ben just loses his shit. Um, cause Julian said along the lines of like, um, I know you're disappointed. And he's like, you're damn right. I'm disappointed. And just, it's such yeah, a human sure. response. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I love him so much because a lot of it is Avery Brooks, but a lot of it is the writing too. He's just such a a, a, a meaty character. He's always doing something new and different, but it never feels wrong. It all feels connected. It's just oh, it's so wonderful. Excellent. It's your turn for a question. It's my turn. Okay. Um, if you could pick three novels to be stranded on a desert island with, what would they be? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta think a second. That was a that's a hard question. So I'm gonna be an ass, right? I'm gonna ask you the same question. <laughs> so if I'm limited strictly to three novels on a desert island, mm -hmm. I would take the fucking omnibus because it would be massive and large. And mm -hmm. I could read it multiple times and I get too bored. Mm -hmm. The. Uh, American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Mm -hmm. And. Between the World and Me by uh, Coates. Oh, good one. All right, hey, my question for you is the exact same one you asked me because that is a, a hell of a question to ask someone unprepared. It's Even good, except for, uh, except for I, oh, I have an answer for this because I was prepared for this moment. I knew you were going to pull this on. <laughs> wait, Eddie, um, are you telling me, wait, are you telling me the moment has been prepared for? <laughs> oh! oh, we will never get tired of referencing that because it's such a good scene. Um, makes no sense. Uh, no, uh, it would be The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Um, because I think that the first set of short stories is probably the strongest part of the canon. There's arguably other good points to canon, but as a cohesive unit, the adventure Sherlock Holmes is really, really strong. I've read it so many times. Um, uh, the Maltese Falcon by Dashiell Hammett. Uh, 
partially because um, that was the very first detective novel that my grandfather ever bought me, and I still have the leather-bound copy he gave me in the 80s uh, on my shelf right now. Wow. Uh, and um, Take to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams because that is the book that made me want to become a writer. <laughs> because gonna... I, in my infinite naive wisdom, looked at that and said, I could write as good as that. 20 years later, no one can write as good as that because Thomas Adams is a genius. But it's always good to shoot for something you can't quite reach. The genius is how easy he made it look. Yes. He, it, it was not easy at all for him. It was very not easy. Uh, okay, back to me. Three questions left. We're almost done. Um, uh, it's the spinoff of one you, you asked me, uh, which is funny because I actually did have this written down. Are you down. copying me? Are you, are you no, no, I actually had it, I had, it, I had it written down. It's just weird that it came up this way. Uh, I was going to ask you. I got it. I asked your favorite. I was asking you what your favorite moment of Babylon Five was. My favorite moment, B Five. It's going to be when. It, it, God, it's in the hallway when they have the Jack the Ripper episode. They make a specific point. The character, to, the Inquisitor, to turn to Sheridan and to Lynn say know that you are the right people in the right place at the right time that is mm -hmm. the utmost power confidence boosting that someone needs in like their darkest hour like that moment stick with me over Borlon war like shared and jumping off of a bridge uh my my favorite favorite guy garibaldi getting screwed over by some of the plot points but like that moment is the pinnacle of that show for me mm-hmm yeah. Oh, that's good. That's a good one. All right. Hey, your question. Yes. Being worked on bajillions of IPs and all those IPs, what is the one that is you have not worked on that you really want to, that you would kill someone to work on and why? I wish I had to put that qualifier in there because I had an answer and then I can't actually. Okay. So the answer I was going to give was Doctor Who. Um, but the reason why the qualifier makes that tricky is because I actually did an opportunity to work on a Doctor Who game, and I had to pass on it because the money couldn't work. Um, and that's one of the unfortunate downsides of being a, a creative professional is that I, the money was so low that I would have lost money if I had worked on it, right? Um, and we tried to negotiate something, just my floor couldn't meet their ceiling. Uh, so that… I, I regret that decision, honestly. I mean, I feel like if I could do it all again, I would try to find a way to make that work. Um, I, so I, 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 think, I think maybe I'll stick with that because, I mean, I do regret it. And I if, if it landed in my lap today, I'd probably have a different answer, honestly. So um, at that moment, though, I just felt like I couldn't do it. But, man, I, I, have, I have asked, I have begged my friends working on the, the role-playing game. It's like, let me work on the Doctor Who role-playing game. Um, but to be honest, uh, uh, and this is not a slight against anyone specifically, this is just a general trend that has seemed to be true. Um, uh, the BBC doesn't like Americans working on Doctor Who. And even though I'm technically British now, we'll see if that changes, but um, there is kind of a stigma about Americans working on Doctor Who. So, Is this the moment for me to say that I worked on Doctor Who? Where? How? When? What? 
uh, the new really? core book, the new core book that came out. I'm one of the, I'm the person that wrote like the jam section. Ah. Also a, I'm also in the five E book and some other book. Ah, I you know you. how it works. How'd it work? At Gen Con 2018, when I won three uh, golden names for Harlem Unbound first edition. Mm-hmm. I took my, my impressive clout that would last for all of 48 hours. Gen Con. Yeah, <laughs> went went to their booth and I said, "Hey, do you know that I am a huge Doctor Who fan? My favorite Doctor is Sylvester McCoy. I would like to work on a Doctor Who book." They saw me with my three knees I was working on my neck, and they go, "Hey, let's talk to somebody." And about six months later, I get a ping asking if I would like to write of the Doctor Who book. And this is the the thing I can say since I do not to do this as a full time profession like you. I can occasionally accept jobs that are less pay than what I would normally accept if this was my job. And no offense to them, but it was less pay. I took it because I wanted to work on a Doctor Who book. Yeah. And that is the same reason I got to work on Dune because they definitely do not meet my pay. But I wanted to be on Dune. So I said, sure. I wrote a good chunk of the Dune book. Give myself another pat on the back because it's a live show. It's our show where I won yeah. another uh, gold any for writing for dude. Yeah, absolutely. So, so awards do get you something. They get you to work on this role playing game. They get <laughs> me something. They don't get the work right. anything. No, no. Right. I understand. Uh, All right. Is it my question? I think it's my question. No, it's my turn. My no, turn no. now. My turn now. My turn now. Is it? I thought you asked me the Dr. Who question. My turn now. I mean, you can ask me the question if you want to. If you want to ask me 11 questions, go for it. What if we ever be concerned about actual like parameters around our show? I literally just you, said you, that's you, the whole thing I do to this show. <laughs> 50 percent of care, us care. <laughs> you care just enough to voice a concern to, to easily let it slip past when I suggest something else. I that is right. why right. this dynamic works so well. That's true. That's true. That's true. All right, go ahead. Ask a question. You made me forget my question. <laughs> my leverage plan is unfolding. Oh, go ahead. I forgot my question. I'll think of it. Okay. Um, although relevant, so we just talked about this. Uh, if you could go back and do it all again, is there anything different you do with genreless? Genreless? Yeah, the podcast. You know the thing we're doing right now? Yeah. Really? Because I've, I've been thinking for a while about doing a podcast. Mm-hmm. And I... No offense to you, buddy. I may have approached some other people before to think about it. It wasn't the right mix. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't do it. But being, being the fact that we'd worked together on a project and you'd interviewed me a few times, mm-hmm. it, I think we have a natural banter that goes back and forth. Yeah. Um, from similar interest and similar ideology and, vast, and somewhat vastly different lived experiences. But it lets us and became i think we became really friendly during those interviews and, and as you said we became friends over the course of this podcast i would yep. not change anything because i would not want to lose you as a friend oh that's pretty sweet Ever we should ask that question last now oh well <laughs> <laughs> the next question is gonna start a fight so <laughs> all right what's your question question can i ask they'll start a fight because right. I, I have a question i'll start a fight so, a industry-specific question. Okay. People that want to work in the industry, what is the difference in being able to work on a core book compared to working on a supplementary book? 
wow. Um, depends on the capacity, uh, but in general, assuming you're in a, a reasonable chunk of it, not just doing here's 5,000 words, you know, assuming you have some kind of impact in the book. Um, obviously, the, the uh, high level is a supplement you have to conform to what the core rulebook sets down. The core rulebook gives a little more leeway and room. Uh, but I think more on a, a fundamental level, um, you have to be more engaged working in a core rule book. Uh, I, I, honestly, I hate to use the metaphor, but I like to think of it as race as running. You know, uh, a, a, a supplement is a sprint. You, know, you get in, do the work, you get out. Uh, and that's more or less how it works. Uh, the core rule book, it's a marathon. You, you've got to commit to it. You got to prepare for it. You got to train for it. You got to uh, be willing to engage with it. So, like, I, if at all possible, I try not to work on more than one core rule book at a time. I'm happy to juggle multiple supplements. That's usually not a problem. Um, if I can either, I mean, there's a couple times I've had multiple core rule books, but even then, I try to either get them somewhat similar so that there's not too much cognitive change or, 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 or gear shifting um, or so far apart that I can't possibly confuse the two. It depends on kind of where things are at. Um, but I, like when I did uh, V20, um, that was my job for like four months. Uh, I didn't do anything else except for that, um, partially because I had to write 300,000 bloody words. Uh, but also just I didn't have brain power for anything else. Um, uh, when I worked on both editions of Realms of Pugmire, I, I really made sure that I didn't have anything else significant on my plate because I really kind of need to, to, to focus on that. Um, so for me, it's just mental overload um, because you have to, I won't say planning, um, there's a bit of jazz to any kind of uh, role-playing game supplement, really. And I think you get more of that even in tabletop role-playing games. Or sorry, in uh, core books, I should say, because the supplement usually has a pretty strict outline. Um, so there's a little bit of Okay, this isn't working. Let's try this over here. Uh, but even more recently, I need to be focused on a core rule book. Did that, did that answer your question? Good. Very cool. Although I do have one follow up attached to that, so not a separate question, but a uh, question. Lawyer. Thank you. Uh, as as a, a fellow writer, if you were going to have your credit, would you rather have your credit as a writer in the industry on a core book or a supplement book? Oh, core rule book, definitely. Why um, is that? Because for whatever reason, the average person in the RPG industry uh, thinks that work on core rulebook is inherently more valuable than work on a supplement, even if you did the introductory fiction, the core rulebook, and like all of the supplement, it's still perceived differently. Um, I had someone at Gen Con. This is a funny story. So don't have to be Gen Con. Uh, at, this is after Vampire and Masquerade came out. Uh, and they told me how much they loved Vampire and the Masquerade. So, well, thank you very much. Um, I didn't work on all of it. I just worked on this one iteration, you know. I didn't invent it or anything. Uh, and then I proceeded to spend like five minutes talking about how terrible Vampire the Requiem was. Uh, I started name-dropping books they thought were terrible in Vampire the Requiem. Mm. All books I've worked on. Uh, and so at some point I managed to wedge myself in. It's like, well, I'm sorry that my work on those books didn't meet your standards. Kind of like, 
politely reinforcing, hey, I also worked on those too. And their response was, well, at least you didn't work on the core rule book. And that's stuck in my head because I work in the core book for Vampire the Masquerade meant more objectively to this person than working on five supplements for Requiem. Yeah. So there you go. If you're in the industry and you're looking to work on something, remember core book, then supplement. Yep. Which means, honestly, there's more value on that level to just make your own game and put it up there. In some ways, yeah, unless you try to publish it, it's a whole other thing, which is a whole other discussion. That <laughs> right. Uh, so, a question in chat: um, uh, Your thoughts on role playing games being used in education and therapy? I have thoughts on the therapy side. I don't know if you thoughts on either of them. Uh, I have thoughts on both of them, but they're very, very generic. I'm going to give you right now. I would say that I think that they are both useful. If properly applied, and strongly so with education, based literally on the products that I make and create. So I, I'm going to say they are essential in education, useful in therapy, but then it will depend on how it's implemented. Uh, yeah, on the therapy side, uh, I actually work heavily with a group called the Madonna Group, who's they are licensed therapists who use tabletop role playing games in therapeutic settings, uh, and in fact, they are. I'm working with them on a core rulebook. Ah. Um, that is specifically designed to work as a cool game, but also to be used for maximum benefit in therapeutic settings. Um, and so completely agree with you. Like, it can be very useful in therapy. Do not do what a lot of people like me did in the 90s and assume that role-playing games are a substitute for therapy. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> as a tangent to that, I can say that having run games... A war zone overseas is a great stress reliever for groups while you're doing it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I've also had tons of people uh, both come up to me and tell me, but also a witness, like, discover their, their uh, uh, sexuality, their gender identity, their, um, their identity as a person through tabletop role-playing games. Um, so there's tons of therapeutic value, but also the reason why safety tools have become a huge topic over the past you know, seven or eight years is because it can also damage people if used incorrectly. So true. Uh, it looks like you have another question in the chat from Jill. Do you want to read it? Yes. What gaming hill will you die on? A core belief, value, etc. You start. start that one. Oh, I get that one. I started the education therapy one, so you can start this one. Um, does D and D for edition not do bad counts of core belief? I don't, I don't think so. That's true. Um, no, good the, try. The one good I try. Okay, but look, this is the one that I will there, – there's two. There's a pedantic one, and there's one that I actually genuinely believe. The pedantic one is um, skill lists in RPGs are a mix of nouns and verbs, and that needs to stop. That's just a bad thing. People should stop doing it, whatever. The actual core belief I have, though, is I get really, 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 really frustrated by the term rules as written uh, because it attacks a core belief I have, which is that Rules as written implies an antecedent, which is rules as intended. And I do not, I believe the death of the author applies even more so to game design. Rule as intended is a rubbish argument. It doesn't matter what the rules were intended, they are simply rules. No one goes to Monopoly and goes, hmm, I wonder what the designers intended when they made Monopoly. 
A, we know that history exists and we can research that. Uh, but B, nobody cares about that. Um, so it's just rules. Just apply the rules. You And rules as written, outside, if there's no rules as intended component, then it's just a needless qualifier and it just becomes pedantic. And it becomes also gatekeepy, which really bugs me. A lot of times the rules as written argument is a way to just bludgeon people into saying they're wrong and they're playing the game badly. And I do not stand for that. So I have frequently told people who are fans of my games, I have waited arguments like, if you're a fan of my game, you will stop arguing this. Otherwise, I don't like want you as a customer. I do not want you using my rules, telling people what I intended, because it doesn't matter what I intended. My intention is you play the game and have fun with it. That is the beginning, middle, and end of my intention. Hill, dead. Sorry. Was, 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 was that a mic drop? I heard a little click at the end of that. <laughs> It's actually my my uh, uh, ring hitting the desk because I was slamming my hand down because I got agitated. I've got two answers for this. First one, rules as written is essential and should always be adhered <laughs> to. That wasn't the question I wanted to fight about. Oh man, we have two questions to fight about. <laughs> all right, all right, that one out of the way. Um, seriously, it is still kind of a two pronged answer thing. One that games are. Gaming can only be used for a fun diversion. And secondly, that people and how do I want to phrase this one? Secondly, that you should be able to play someone of a different gender, race, whatever than you are, if you approach it with respect and care, if you fuck up, you are willing to apologize and try to do better. Mm-hmm. Hands down. Because that is at the heart of gaming. I will live on that hill. I will die on that hill. I will resurrect my corpse from that hill to have the same fight to die again on it. But that is the utmost importance. And there'll be people who tell you that you can't do it. Those are the same people who will then go and tell you that you can only play white characters. Cool. Right. But I mean... It, that argument is stupid, right? Because it's like, okay, go with the white characters. Cool, so I can't play green orcs? So, so it's the, when you start applying, it, 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 it's, it's a stupid edge case. It's, what you're really saying is, I don't, you want me to play something to make you uncomfortable. And frankly, some role-playing games should be uncomfortable. That's how we learn. Again, ability to make mistakes, try to approach it respectfully, try it and make mistakes, apologize to those people sincerely, and try to do better. Right, exactly. I, I've, I, I may have already died on that hill, but I keep coming back. Like a corpse that just won't go away. Like a, a lich with a phylactery. <clears throat> Careful, you'll get in trouble with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Is it my question? I question? think so. No, wait. No, it's my question, because it's my last question. Right. Okay. I built this up now, so it's going to be a, a damp squib of a question, but... Do you like me to answer um, your pre-question before you answer this question to make you feel better about pre- it? What's, what's the pre-question? What is the one essential episode of Doctor Who that everyone should watch? Okay. Do you mean story or episode? I say episode because the new the new Doctor Who, they have like an episode that's a story. The old Doctor Who would have like four episodes it's a story so we can say that's story. why i said episode because i'm going to are we are saying like you know episode six of resurrection of the dollar i mean <laughs> how how do you start just overall story title 
I mean, for, uh, for me, uh, so uh, to split the difference, I have a classic and a, a new answer. Um, uh, the classic answer is, I think, uh, Genesis the Daleks. Um, it is a classic of the, the series for a reason. And I know it's not a Spencer McCoy one, uh, but I do feel like Spencer McCoy ones are not you have to know a bit more about what Doctor Who's about before those Fester Point ones really click in, right? Uh, uh, so just to kind of, here's X number of hours of TV to watch with almost no context. I think Genesis holds up better. Uh, for new Doctor Who, um, a little trickier uh, because the one that people often cite, which is Blink, is weird because it has very little of Doctor in it. Uh, um, so I feel like Dalek is a better one with Christopher Eccleston, uh, because it's a very good summary of why the Daleks are scary and why the doctor is the way he is. To, to give you a freebie, I myself used to say blink, but I transitioned mm. after it aired to pilot. I think pilot is probably one of the best, most essential episodes of Dr. Who. Which one's pilot? Uh, Peter Capaldi is when they first introduce Bill. They kind of do oh, like yeah. a run through of the history of Doctor Who in that episode. Oh, no, that you're right. That is a good one. Ooh, I may have to think about that. I may change my answer in future. I, I, I have to watch it again. Right, your final question that you built up to you so we can wrap up this right. show for our, our, our fans that have stayed here this long. Right. Okay. <clears throat> so you and I have talked in the past, both on mic and off that I think the idea of a sacrosanct canon in iTunes <laughs> is just nonsense. And you've argued with me, so I want you to explain to me why is canon so important. Canon is important because it establishes part of the story and it establishes the intent of the writing behind it. So writers have to think about what they're doing and they can't constantly go, whoopsie! like change something and forget facts because they are fans that go and they absorb this history and they kind of live to some extent and those fans are important to the longevity of any project they're telling a story for those people and hopefully you'll get other people into it and that canonical history is a telling of the work that you've done up to now and in, in all honesty i'm okay if you sometimes do some whoopsies but it's to the point where people don't expect it all respect it all the canon they built they just want to tell good stories, but you can do that in the near term and it works. But for the long term, you're just rebooting everything all over again. Zen becomes more of a cash grab. This leads into a larger discussion about companies only doing stuff for money that will then hire AI people to come in and generate crap. Short condensed version. So, I mean, the second, the second part I, I agree with. I mean, obviously, uh, uh, people needlessly and irresponsibly jarring with what's established before can cause problems. Uh, exhibit A, 1996 Doctor Who movie. Uh, mm -hmm. But um, since, since I, I brought this up, I'll, I'll argue the counterpoint. Um, I feel like this fan obsession with everything needing to fit into a specific clear continuity with no deviations and anything that does deviate is a flaw and a failure is damaging to enjoying properties uh star wars being my big example of that modern day 
it's I'm I'm gonna push back on Star Wars. Okay. Because for Star Wars, they push their cannon, start something new, to then only start trying to like re-add their cannon back in when they realize it wasn't making them money. That is more of a acknowledging the fact it was important. We decided we didn't like it, but now that we know that we need it for money, what we did, we didn't care about. We're trying to generate crap. You didn't want to buy our crap, so now we'll give you a version of what you had before. It's, but you're actually you're actually arguing my point though is um I know I'm not totally against your point. I'm saying that it needs to be considered while you do it and it doesn't and it can't constantly keep happening. In fact that Disney no, that, is now that I agree with. Disney's now uh, talking uh, about totally ignoring the entire trilogy they came out with of Star Wars movies because it wasn't well received. Right. That I agree with. Uh, um just saying, oh that stuff didn't happen because of inconvenience or whatever. I, that I, I, I generally agree with. Um, but Disney came in and said, hey, here are huge swaths of this that we officially deem as non-canonical. And uh, to be frank, a lot of that stuff that they just swept away was really good stuff. And to your point, Disney then has turned around and just kind of brought it all back in. Mm-hmm. And not, not as well. Sure. <clears throat> um, it, like for example, it's the oh hey, we threw out Admiral Thrawn, and we realized oh by the way that's a really good villain. Why did we do that? Let's bring him back. Um, it, it's ruse, but the fact that they felt that canon as a concept was so important that they had to declare something yes or no canon, and then backtrack on that is the problem. If they had just said. Star Wars exists. We're going to pick and choose from what exists, and we're going to put on on screen whatever we think is most interesting, and we're going to keep it to the ethos of what came before. Then you don't have that debate. You don't have this marginalization of past material, and you can just use what works best. Uh, I mean, we just talked about Doctor Who, but I think Doctor Who handles this best, which is like the everything exists. There is no way to reconcile Doctor Who. There's one person on the internet who is trying to do the definitive chronology of Doctor Who, but even he says he does it primarily as a very, very elaborate joke. Um, there's just no way to do it in Doctor Who. Uh, there's an explanation for it. I can explain why everything Doctor Who exists, but Doctor Who very much approaches like, it, look, guys, it's 60 years of history. We're just going to pick a few years school. It's the nature of Doctor Who. If you can travel back in time, you can alter time, so timelines themselves are variants and deviants of what they could be. There right. is no definitive chronology because nothing is static. Right. But even stuff like Sherlock Holmes, right? And, and this is where I kind of come from my stance from. Because uh, Sherlock Holmes is, in a lot of ways, the first fandom. Um, stepping aside. Uh, before you start, though, yeah. before you start, I want to point out, but Sherlock Holmes story is written by Watson, who is a person in the world that's fallible. So therefore, there is no established chronology for Sherlock Holmes. But Watson well, okay. But my my yes, I, I agree with you. That is actually a, a linchpin for a lot of fandom for Sherlock Holmes. And in fact, Sherlock Holmes fandom is what coined the term canon because a priest in the twenties used Sherlock Holmes as a metaphor for why he was frustrated with theology. That's why we got the term canon because it came from theology. But it was done as a kind of a sideways joke of obviously nothing as serious as a, as canon and a theological concepts would apply to this story series of detective stories and then for 100 years since then we haven't gotten the joke but because the sherlock holmes continuity 
is irreconcilable in some ways. Uh, that is why it has lasted is because people – it gives fans something to argue about. It gives fans something to, to dig into the puzzle of how do we make all of this work. It's, it's literally called the great game in Sherlockian fandom. And I don't think things like Sherlock Holmes, Doctor Who, superhero comics would have persisted if it had a nice, neat, tidy canon that had no deviations. So I think I... we're actually on the same page generally. We're we're frequently on the same page. We're just like a couple of paragraphs off from each other. Right. On on the whole, I think even with a solid written out pin chronology, they would still exist. Is how interesting they are to engage with the material. Buck Holmes is an intrinsically interesting character from how it's written. That character will continue to exist and people make bajillions of variants of that character until they're like blue in the face from all sorts of different countries, all sorts of different time frames and settings. Okay. So it's not the chronology that's going to make it live or die here it is the interest interest of that character we could potentially both think of dozens of superheroes who died on the vine not because of their chronology but because they were boring yeah that, absolutely. Is, the, that is the greatest sin in media is to be boring mm -hmm. right um but there are people who are genuinely mad that like wolverine's had five different origins now and i think that's great i think Logan is a better wolverine than logan Okay, let me rephrase that. The second best Wolverine had five different origins. You are, you are correct in pointing out that I was referring to the wrong Wolverine. Um, all right, but so we, you, know, you know my question. My turn, my turn, my all turn. Right, your turn, your turn. It's all you. Take us home. If you got to write next 100 issues of an X-Men comic, you had to use the same characters for, for that comic what does your five to seven person X-Men team look like? And what would their first adventure be? So <laughs> you say that, but like, I'm just like, can I just use the new mutants? <laughs> That's basically. No, no. What you, you, you've got a listed character, a quick brief of their power set for people that don't know X-Men, how we do. Okay. So. So they wouldn't know what's da, going da, on. Da, da, da. Um, okay, so uh, I would probably, I, I would, to be fair, the one I'll write is also one that kind of existed for short term uh, recently. Um, but it would be uh, Bobby DaCosta, Sunspot, um, whose powers Sunspot are. I was about to say his powers are. His powers it's are. Like a, it's like a normal show, so I have to interrupt you now. Uh, fair enough. I appreciate that. I feel all right at home. Um, his, his powers are that uh, when he is exposed to sunlight, he becomes super strong, and also his other powers, he's extremely rich. Uh, his, um, his uh, there's a cannonball. Um, whose power with the new is updated he's sunspot. What, what new updated sunspot? Sunspot he that can fly and like shoot energy beams and all this other stuff. Oh, the cosmic stuff. Yeah, I'd probably wreck on that because that's 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 boring. Um, cannonball. Uh, uh, whose powers are he is nigh invulnerable while blasting. Um, you! <laughs> <laughs> that was just for you. Um, uh, magic, uh, whose powers are that she's a sorceress uh, and she can teleport uh, and she is uh, Colossus's little sister and she's very bitter about that. Um, uh, I'll actually bring Magma back. Um, whose power is that she can turn to magma and cause earthquakes. Uh, but she's also an underutilized character that I think, frankly, needs another run. She's done better. 
uh, and uh, Karma, um, whose uh, power is that she can uh, possess people. She she can take over their 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 minds and, and use their bodies. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, Danny, um, who is I think Mirage is her current code name. Um, and uh, her powers is she's a Valkyrie and also uh, has the ability to um, manifest people's desires or fears and also occasionally murders demon bears. Uh, she's she got a lot going on, let's be honest. <laughs> um, and, and honestly, their first adventure would be – if we're talking about modern continuity um, – is uh, uh, they would have to get together to try to break Magneto out of prison. Um, because, he, you know, it's kind of the one last job vibe. I took a five-issue arc. Uh, see, here's our old headmaster. Um, we left on bad terms. We owe him one favor. So we're going we're gonna to bust him out and try to put him on the, the path again to, to, to be a good person and fail. Uh, and ultimately, going to get screwed because that's just how Magneto is. He is a scorpion; he will always sting. Uh, but then, kind of seeing some good in him, even though, even though other people don't always see it. Well, everyone besides Xavier, Xavier always sees it. Sometimes, stupidly so. But cool. I just love the mutants. That's <laughs> my favorite X Men comic. <laughs> All right, it looks like our our hour show that uh, has run an hour and forty three minutes coming to a close. Oh. Have any final questions from the chat before we wrap this up? Uh, yeah, so we'll get that a couple of minutes. Um, uh, uh, while we're waiting for that, actually, Chris, so it's going to be exclusive for the people who are listening live. If people are listening on the podcast feed, it's going to be next week. But for people listening live, it's going to be a month or so from now. But what is our next season going to be? So after a long run of superheroes, we decided we would cleanse our palate by doing a Halloween horror season. So for people that are curious, I think we kicked it off with, I don't remember the first episode because we're six episodes ahead. Um, we did uh, uh, um, uh, Hello? Sleepy Hollow, yeah. And some other ones too, but we kicked it off with the incredible shows Sleepy Hollow. It's going to be the first season, uh, the pilot episode, and two others that elude me because I don't have my genreless notes up for the moment. Right. Well, maybe uh, while I'm riffing, Eddie's going to pull it up because he's a professional, which he's already established at the start of the show. I think super. I think that Sleepy Hollow was a great first season show that it got multiple seasons. It lost some magic after that first season, and we wanted to start Halloween right with something that was. And pulpy, right, right. Um, uh, and I'm actually not looking it up. What I am looking up is that um, when this episode drops, it will be at the end, actually, beginning of November. So, for people who are listening live. That's what you're going to hear in the coming weeks. People who are hearing this a month and a half in the future, they've already heard all of that. Ah, so, so then what? they will have the joy of knowing that at long last, it took us. Over two years to get here, figure out our rhythm and our banter. Uh, we're gonna fucking do Doctor Who. Yes, Whovians are gonna discuss some Doctor <laughs> Who, and yes. that Doctor Who season is gonna be broken up somewhat. So we're gonna cover some of the classic Doctors, and we may eventually move into the new Doctor Who also. Right. 
yeah. So if you're listening to this on the the podcast feeds, next week we're going to uh, cover. We're going to start at the beginning. Um, we're going to cover uh, uh, season one, uh, episode Unearthly Child, and then we're going to skip a few episodes, and then we're going to do the seven episode run of Daleks. Uh, so that is episode one, and then episodes uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, and eleven. Um, it's a lot, uh, but we're gonna start. We're, we're just gonna get and run. So uh, if you're listening to us during that podcast, we do next week. Um, and if you're listening <laughs> to us a month and a half time, you got a month to listen up to watch all that before you get there. So. <laughs> and we're both kind of excited about Doctor Who. I'm not sure how yes. the actual conversations will go. Because have many, many deep feels on Doctor Who. And this may be one of the first podcasts your idiot and I come to, to virtual physical flows. Which would be impressive internationally, um, but also just frankly deeply unlikely. I think we're mostly going to be like, and then this thing, and that thing is so cool, and this is awesome, <laughs> and oh my god, this. And okay, let's talk about William Hartnell for a second. But after that, no, this is so cool. And I won't lie, this is not the first time we talked about Doctor Who. We no. did one Doctor Who episode for the Patreon for from my listeners for the Doctor Who Patreon. This, but this is going to be our deeper dive into Doctor Who. Indeed. Um, like and then we did, got oh, go no questions. Oh, uh, we have one more question. Um, does uh, we the have first done? season of True Detective fit to the horror season? Oh, well, there's that one. There's another one, too. Uh, the, the, that question is, is, no, we didn't get to uh, True Detective. Um, but we, we, we skewed for October, we skewed a little more campy. Um, I mean, we started with Sleepy Hollow. Um, so it's going to go in a specific direction kind of from there. Um, so it's more kind of monster of the week ish. Uh, but where we end up, I think it's going to be just yeah. a choice. I don't want to spoil it. That was that a lot one. of fun. And we had a guest uh, for the last episode of that season too. We did. We did. Uh, but the other question was best and worst PC character sheet you've seen. Oof. Uh, I will say I know my worst one, and it's a bit of a obscure one, but uh, the Nephilim role-playing game. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. I have that game on my shelf. I approached Gossium about letting me write the second edition of Nephilim. Oh, that would be amazing, frankly, because it needs one. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a they, they said no. Huh? They said, they said no. no. So I will not be writing a second edition of Nephilim. I will not be writing a, a sixth edition of Stormbringer, which I also approached Gasm. It's a hundred episodes, so I'm, I'm I'm sharing random things I've tried. And they said <laughs> no for me writing a new edition of Stormbringer. Ah, um, best character sheet? I I don't know honestly. I don't. I can't do a speed. Oh my god, that sheet's amazing. Um, I do like the playbook design of the PTPA style games. That's a neat idea. I don't know if it's the best. I literally thoughts? have I literally have no paint on character sheets. Cool. Right. There we go. <laughs> uh, so, Chris, if people want to find you online to ask you about your character sheet preferences, where would they find you? Uh, Darker Who Discord. You can, you can come at me on next if you want, but I literally just post about genreless or I retweet stuff about Haunted West. Uh, if you're really looking for me, you can find me on Blue Sky or... Discord. The Discord's going to be the most fun because I'll respond and I'll at least give you a meme of some kind. Hey, people yeah, looking for uh, you or can they find you on social media and buy your sweet, sweet swag that you've worked on? Uh, so honestly, like Chris, I, I, I've 
all but abandons uh, uh, Twitter or X or whatever it is. Pitch because now they're going to start charging everyone for it. So that's an even bigger no for me. Um, but if you pick a problem, Blue Sky or uh, uh, what's the other one? That's the other one. Um, if you just look for Pug Steady anywhere, uh, that's usually find me. Also, that's my website, pugsteady.com, P U G S T A D Y. And if you want to buy my stuff, you could buy it there. Uh, I have links to all the stuff I've worked on. And also, if you want to buy my creator own stuff where I get a percentage of, um, that's all at realmsofpugmire.com. Uh, but like Chris, you can find me on the Darker Hue Discord um, where you can see us uh, doing stuff like this, this live show. Uh, so if you're on our Discord, you had a chance to potentially listen to us live recording stuff. Um, and I think we're probably going to do more stuff like this. We did It's the second one we've done now. It seems like both have gone pretty well. Uh, so we'll probably do more fun stuff. Um, if you want to do things like listen to the other episode about uh, Doctor Who we did, you should back the Darker Hue Patreon because we're doing special exclusive Patreon episodes. In fact, Chris and I are going to record one next week uh, that you will not hear unless you're backing his Patreon. So Should we tell him what it is? This, this is the 100th episode, and these people yeah, yeah, right sure. now can find out. Go so, for it. Go for it. We're going to cover Briscoe County Junior. It's mm-hmm. It was a hard debate because I wanted to do something Western, but I haven't gone back to a Western anything since Haunted West was released. And Briscoe County Junior is one of the influences for Haunted West. Oh, and I love the show when it first came out. I have the DVDs. Yeah. I think I've dropped a picture of the DVDs literally in the Discord. So I'm excited. Yeah. We're doing it next week when we record. That'll be our episode. It's only uh, yeah, Patreon so- exclusive. Right, so if you want to hear stuff like that, um, you got to back the Darker Hue Patreon um, and give Chris some of your sweet, sweet cash. Uh, but with that, uh, thank you all in the audience for hanging out and asking questions. You were great, fantastic questions. They were really, really cool. Um, uh, and thank you, listeners, for listening to us for almost two decades. Two decades. Decades? Two years. It feels like decades <laughs> after the superhero Do you want show. to do this for two decades? Uh, that's, that's a commitment. I would need uh, you to put a ring on it, my friend. I would need a ring. Um, I, th- I, th- I think your wife may have issues with that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, but no, thank you for listening to for 100 episodes. That's where I got numbers mixed up. Uh, for 100 episodes, uh, uh, I'm, I'm hopefully we just for another 100. Uh, I, I think it's been a ton of fun, and uh, we'll see how we survive the Doctor Who season, but I suspect we'll probably be fine. I'm like, so with that, Senior. we'll see you all next week when we talk about Doctor Who. Doctor Who.